0: All right, everybody, welcome to the Sunday edition of This Week in Startups, the show that never leaves you hanging over the weekend.
1: And Molly has a great question for me for VC Sunday School. She had a friend who uh, wouldn't invest in first-time founders. They like to have seasoned founders. And she asked me this very important question about, hey, is is that a thing? Should you only invest in second, third-time founders or first-time founders? It led to a wonderful discussion that's very candid and that most VCs will not have publicly.
0: That's exactly the beauty of this show. And mm. then, mm. because in the news right now is this inflation reduction bill that nobody saw coming. Joe Manchin surprised the world by signing on to a bill that includes three hundred and sixty-nine billion dollars for climate. I uh, called my good friend Jayco of the Lightsmith Group to say, "Hey, that seems like it's going to be good for us climate tech investors, right?" Yeah, and we had a and- nice newsy conversation about that. Uh, This is exactly
1: the discussion I've been waiting to hear because I've been trying to take apart uh, this bill and congratulations to President uh, Manchin on getting this uh, through, (laughs) getting this to the finish line or apparently close to the finish line.
0: We hope. We We hope. hope. It feels like it's getting there. Hopefully, Vice President Sinema won't screw it up for all of us, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, she might also save us on carrot interest. So. She probably will. We talk yeah, about that, too. I like we talk it. about the built-in sacrifice. That, I like it. I like yeah. it. It's no sacrifice for me
1: listen, or you, win, Molly. Win-win for me.
0: Win-win. <laughs> it's a win-win for you. <laughs> Molly, you're winning
2: so much. I mean,
1: right? Uh, a great year. <laughs> but we uh, break down the important work uh, in this bill uh, to give credits for EVs and, and how that works and how that simulates the adoption of these great technologies. And Molly and I obviously have strong feelings about this. It's going to be a great show. Stick with us.
2: This week in Startups is brought to you by Open Phone. As a startup founder, a lot of mistakes are easy to roll back. But using your personal cell phone number as your company number isn't one of them. Open Phone makes it easy to get business phone numbers for you and your team right on top of your existing devices. Visit openphone.com/slash twist. To get 20% off your first six months. Masterclass. Learn from the world's best minds. Anytime, anywhere, and at your own pace. Get 15% off an annual membership to Masterclass at masterclass.com startups. And Odoo is a fully customizable and fully integrated suite of business apps that lets you build and scale your stack as you build and scale your business. Your first app is free forever. And right now, Odoo is offering $1,000 off your first implementation pack at odoo.com slash twist. That's odoo.com slash twist.
0: All right, everybody. It is Sunday. It's time for me to get my learning on. Mm. BC Sunday School. What's on your mind? So this was super interesting. I was talking to a friend connecting who is an angel and a scout. And, you know, so we were comparing notes. What do you who do you want to talk to doing that, like networking thing? And he made this really interesting comment. Like he was talking about his kind of filters. And he said that a filter of his as a former founder is that he never invests in first time founders because he says he was one. And he thought he was too stupid to make it work. And so now he just really optimizes as an angel for founders with some experience. And uh, we have some stats on this. Like apparently, according to a Harvard Business School study, first time entrepreneurs have an only 18% chance of succeeding. Uh, whereas entrepreneurs who previously failed have a 20% chance of succeeding, which doesn't seem that different, I guess, 18 to 20. Um, yep feels like statistically insignificant, potentially, but maybe not. And then a VC backed entrepreneur who starts a company that goes public has a 30% chance of succeeding in their next venture. So I just wondered what you thought. What do you so think? this comes up a lot. Yeah.
1: It there are a lot of uh, biases. And one of them is sur- survivorship biases, right? And when people see Zuckerberg and Gates, and Steve Jobs, knock it out of their park with the first company. Mm -hmm. They assume first time founders because we have these outrageous examples are what you should bet in. And the thinking there again, this is people with confirmation bias saying, Okay, we saw this. What was it? Oh, they have a fresh mind. They don't know how hard it's going to be. They have a disruptive worldview, whatever it is, they come up with all these reasons to explain the success what they don't see is the other you know, 10,000 companies that had no success, modest success for every Bill Gates, right? And so the truth is, after each successive failure, I would say you get 50% better at running a company at the very least, yeah, at the very least. And this makes a ton of sense. Now, the problem is, if you've done a company in your 20s, then you do one in your 30s. And now you're in your 40s. Maybe you got one more in you, but you got kids, you got a family, you got a mortgage, you don't have the energy level, you get
0: more tired. Also, you know what you're in for. And so you feel you dread it slash pull back on certain parts of it that you know are going to be really hard as opposed to when you're young and dumb and strong. Exactly.
1: So the the young and dumb and strong and energy. um, Again, this is age bias, I understand is what most investors would say behind closed doors. Um, now, but the truth is, you, you get kind of like, old man old lady strength, a different, you know, you get mama strength, you get, you know,
0: yeah. dad strength, you become a master is, multitasker.
1: Beca- yeah. So this is like a different level of, sh- of, of uh, sophistication, which is, you know, you're not good at something, you know, you don't want to do something. So you just hire somebody amazing, you know, how to lead people. You know how to hire people, you know when to sell. Mm -hmm. And you may not have that cutthroat insanity of youth, and that just never ending supply of energy, but you also don't have the spastic nature of young people. Now also young people maybe will bend the rules a little more. They'll not be like, Oh, there's copyright law. Oh, there's Airbnb, Uber, local regulations, Coinbase, Theranos, you know, you can make a long list of people who have just, you know, not uh, really paid attention to that. But the truth is the optimal age is probably somewhere in the 30s into your 40s, mm-hmm. because you still have energy, but you got some experience. That's what most people believe. So I'm, I'm putting aside my thoughts on it. I'm telling mm-hmm. you what the industry has experienced and what people say behind closed doors, which is kind of what this segment is about. Totally fine to invest in first time founders. You know, you may, if you lo- if you lose, you were their first fa- backer. So they may right. come back to you for the next one. Now remember, Travis, Uber was his third, I had interviewed him when he did scour, we had been friends uh, when he was doing red solution, you know, uh, on the margins, you know, we had hung out and, and jammed on different ideas and talked about stuff. And so my relationship with him for the third led to that. I was an investor in reportive and then uh, his second company Raul's, was superhuman, right? So the first company sold for maybe 20, 30 million. you know, Superhuman's worth a lot more than that. Uh, I won't say exactly what the valuation is because I'm not sure if it's public. But uh, I secured my position as superhuman by I think being, uh, you know, one of his best investors in reportive. So there is that benefit of backing a first time founder,
0: right is that you a relationship. And if you yes. think that founder is great, yes. even if their first company is a dog, their second one might be great, and you still want to know them.
1: Yes. And there was a study, again, back to uh, Harvard Business Review, HBR, which does a great job, by the way,
0: they had done some research,
1: and they found the average age at which a successful founder started the company was 45. This is uh, what it's about. You know, if you look at somebody like Mark Pincus, he had a, he started a bunch of different companies, and then just continued to have great success into his 40s or 50s. Mm -hmm. Uh, Elon falls into this category, you know, Tesla, uh, came after Zip2 and PayPal, right? And PayPal was obviously a unicorn too, so it's very successful. Um, so you just have a greater chance. And then also, what happens is there is a personality uh, consideration here. Some people love working with young founders. Other people find them annoying, and they don't want to deal with people who don't know how to run a board meeting or don't know mm-hmm. how to hire people, and they don't want to mentor uh Sachs started yammer when he was 58 you know 10 years ago i'm sorry 38 I, he just looks 58 um he's not that old uh he's younger than i am in fact i mean which is crazy when you think about it i look so spry and young and he's would you ever guess Sachs is older is younger than me by a year crazy right uh, kind, weird. Of, kind, of yeah,
0: weird. It's kind of crazy yeah, yeah. um you know it's that hard republican living you should stop now it's clearly aging to become a billionaire
1: it is. It's the GOP lifestyle. You know what it is. It is, is that you, GOP
0: lifestyle. It yeah. It is. It's kind of right. like uh, yeah. dark crystal. You're Just so you know, filled you, with hate. You absorb
1: that dark crystal <laughs> energy. I was about to say <laughs> it's, it's like the really Skeksis. Sex,
0: skeksis, sex, skeksis? The Skeksis. Yeah, I mean,
1: uh, you know. So anyway, that, that's that's as much as I can tell you about this topic.
0: Well, it I, like, but it sounds like what you're saying is like, don't worry about it. Right? I like don't that, worry that about we, it. That we do. There, there are some metrics that could guide you, but it sounds like what you're really saying is like, there's no reason to have that. If you're an angel and it's mm. your money and you yep. are trying to be as like, you know, I mean, and I'm not saying we're not trying to return the most we possibly you can. You want to for, reduce downside, is but I think you want to saying. reduce downside, and yes. so you could imagine that if you were trying to reduce yeah. downside, that might be a useful filter.
1: Of course. So, what your friend? is probably doing is they want to have a simple life. They probably want to invest in serial founders, because they don't want zeros. And they don't want people calling them when they run out of money. They just don't right. want to deal with the shenanigans right. Right. of youth, the folly of youth. I kind of like the folly of youth. I like hanging out with young people it keeps me young. I tell people I'm 51. They're like, No, yeah. And I'm like, well, I hang out with a bunch of kids. I'm like, Oh, is that why you act like a child? I'm like, Sometimes? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: You so know, it's just, I just personality; it's more fun, or it's personality. <laughs> I
1: just you know I don't want to grow up, and so I I do think if you wanted to reduce the number of zeros in your portfolio, I talk about this at Angel University, which uh, has raised over two hundred thousand dollars for charities. Angel University uh, to see the list of charities that we've donated to. That course I teach, I tell people, hey, for your first twenty investments, invest as little as you can, one, two, three, four, five K per deal. If you're an accredited investor, and invest in companies that already have their products in market with ten customers you've got diverse, uh, diversification, you're diversified. Mm -hmm. And number two, you're not betting on product market fit, you're betting on going from product market fit to strong product market fit and scaling an organization. So you just eliminate a lot of zeros. So I like zeros, because I know how much I can lose. Like in the accelerator, we lose 100k, we lose 100k. Okay, I'm okay with that let's take a lot of chances. Now, if it was a million dollars each bet, okay, wait a second, we gotta really think this through. So bet sizing matters. This is why in poker, which we got to start a poker game for uh, folks who you know, for uh, folks who want to learn In a poker game, if nobody raises before the flop, and you've got any two cards and you're in position, you can pay, you know, if you're playing $1 $2, and it costs you $2 to see a flop, why wouldn't you see it? It doesn't cost you a lot. Now, if it's raised to $20 or $50, like, well, I don't think these are really good cards. I think I'm behind. I'll wait for better cards. I can muck these cards and and wait for better ones. So you know, that that's what you're trying to do here is wait for a good hand that you can make a good bet on. And and we see this now in our organization. Because we have so much inbound, we were calculating it on Tuesday's investment call, you know, just I I gave people the idea of the funnel It's like, well, we're we're kind of sorting through 15,000 companies and meeting with You know, this many 1000 companies to make, you know, 100 bets. And, you know, it's less than 1% we bet on, you know, and and that's really the more companies you can meet with, the more you can qualify, um, the more you can check in on, you're going to be selecting from the best of great options. And that's really what you want to do. Yeah, you want to be picking from, you know, 10 really great opportunities this week to make an investment, not picking, you know, the best of 10 okay opportunities. Really, that's why process matters so much. That's why you and I are talking every Sunday on VC Sunday School Mm -hmm. about the process of becoming a world class investor. And I'm Mm -hmm. learning that in the public market time, people get to see me with J trading, learn that process. It really is about thinking about thinking your cognitive biases, all of these different modalities of thinking, building the architecture and a framework for the company and the model, the the business model, the market, the founders, when you can construct that in your head, and you've got in your head, hey, serial founder, great, they're not going to make as many mistakes. Mm -hmm. Oh, but they're going after a tiny market or oh, they're going after a vanity virtue signaling play. Oh, okay. You know, you you start to build these models. Oh, there's a young founder, but look at the execution. Oh, they have great energy. Oh, they've made a couple of mistakes. Oh, they learned from the mistakes. And so that's what I look for in young founders, just to, mm-hmm. you know, wrap up here. When I work with a young founder, uh, coachability ability, um, and ability to ask great questions and listen, some of the, you know, most extraordinary founders I've met will ask me questions constantly. And I'm amazed by them taking notes and their follow up questions. It's like, talking to a great journalist who or a great interviewer, I'm like, well, this person really wants to learn. They're asking me a you know, a series of questions, and they're writing down the answer. And then they're asking me who else they can talk to about the same topic. Okay, they're collecting a lot of information, because they haven't made this decision. And a founder who doesn't, that's where I get concerned. You know, I've had founders who are like, you know, they just unilaterally make a decision to do something. And it turns out it's risky. I'm like, well, do you want to talk to I somebody was right here, man? <laughs> well, not even me. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'll just I like to play it humble. Like I learned having rule off both on my board from Sequoia. You know, he would ask me probing questions, but he would kind of lay back and say, Oh, do you want to talk to somebody about this topic? We might know somebody in our portfolio or on our team who's actually addressed that issue.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: When I had crazy ideas of things I wanted to do in my youth. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's one of the The things I like to look for is with with a young founder. On the program today is Darina Kulya. She is the founder of OpenPhone. Welcome to the show, Darina. Thank you so much, Jason. Great to be here. Now, what mistakes do most founders make with phone numbers in their startups? Really delegation, right? Because what ends up happening is that as a founder, when you're starting, you do everything. You are the salesperson, the support person, the... You make the coffee, you do HR, marketing, sales, recruiting,
0: everything. Yeah. But then eventually you you have, you have people joining the team. And what ends yep. up happening is if, if, as a founder, your phone number, let's forget about the privacy, the spam, all that problem, let's say it doesn't exist, but you're not going to want a year into your company, two years, into your company to have all the support calls or oh. all the questions come to you because now you've just hired your support team. Why did you hire them? Yep. So that's another reason why having that separate number makes so much sense because you can always delegate those calls to your team as you grow.
1: All right, everybody, here's your CTA, the old call to action. Twist listeners, 20% off any plan for your first six months. Just sign up at openphone.com slash twist. And if you got an existing number, no problem. They'll put it right over. Openphone.com
0: slash twist, O P E N P H O N E dot com slash twist today for 20% off. It's not necessarily disqualifying to be a first time founder. There are probably, it's not, and it's interesting. It just clearly is like, it's about looking for those other signals that suggest that this person may be a first time founder, but they're also a really, you know, competent executor, you know, yeah. very technical, whatever it is on top of that. And then also, depending on your personal circumstance, we have the power law on our side. So mm-hmm. more failures could be tolerated. If you're an angel sounds like it's just a different calculation in some ways. See, now we're getting into like, not just rules, but the subtleties.
1: It's a lot of subtlety here, this, you know, and a lot of people have different strategies for winning. Multiple strategies can win in the stock market. I'm learning some people like to buy options and put and some people like to short stocks. Some people like to trade stocks daily. Uh, some people like to hold them for just over a year and, you know, make their decisions So they hit short term capital gains and are taking taxes into account. Other people like to buy and hold some people like to buy index funds. All of these people can have different levels of return for different levels of effort. Yeah, right? Yeah, what I'm trying to do is just really understand all of those, <laughs> as many of those as we can. If you really understand investing, and what you're doing in investing is, you're you're finding a team that's building a product. And then that product is this is why I always focus on team product customer TPC, you know, the team, the product, the customer, Th- that will never change in my mind. And you're always going to have that discussion, no matter what company under what circumstances we're talking, we were talking about, you know, Warner Brothers in uh, HBO this week on this week in startups. And we were, we were talking about Amazon the week before, and the, and Disney the week before that we were making J Trades, talking about stitch fix. Okay, tell me about the team. Oh, Zaslav? Okay really good. Oh, tell me about the product. Oh, HBO Max kind of kicking ass. Tell me about the customers. People like to pay for streaming.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm. Great. I'm building this model. Yep. Um when, when, you know, when, when, when.
1: Yeah. yeah. And, and you don't really have to overthink those three things. Those these three things, y- you can believe what you're experiencing, you know. That's what I like about them. Because a lot of the people I meet are they're they're drawing lines on a chart or they're building, you know models or projections. And I'm kind of like, well, this is in the ether, you know, it's abstract, it's okay, great, I I guess it's valuable. But the product, and Mm. the customers, and the team, like, that's real reality for me. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. and, And that's what I just keep leaning into. And the public market now is making me think about that even more. Okay, there's a new CEO at Disney, there's a new CEO at Amazon. What decisions are they making? Oh, there's a new person running Oh, What decisions are they making? What have they done in their careers? Oh, this person ran parks. Oh, this person grew discovery into a juggernaut. Oh, this person was, you know, Bezos right hand. Okay, you know, I'm I'm starting to feel confident in those leaders, you know, wartime CEOs, perhaps, in some cases, you know, cutthroat, uh, you know, not afraid to make hard decisions. So then, when you're meeting entrepreneurs, when you're meeting a young entrepreneur, hmm, what do you, hard to you tell. can you hard right. to tell, right? So you're you're getting this unbounded energy. You're you're really squinting, like when you meet a 15 year old or something, and you're like, I wonder what this person's going to be like as an adult, you know? And we all do that with our kids, right? Like,
0: yeah. oh yeah, it's 12. Are they going to be a fashion designer or the president of the United States or are they going to be a barista? Or <laughs> give me the give me the Snapchat filter that shows what you're going to look like as a future founder. <laughs> Exactly,
1: exactly. So I I love this question. I love this question. I love this observation. I think it leads to a really good discussion. And the truth is, you're going to see great success from both groups. But you will have you'll contend with different things in the investment, the investment. And and ultimately, what we do as capital allocators is, we're finding the best companies we can. And then we're placing a bet on them. And you can't lose sight of that because you're placing that bet at a certain valuation. To get a certain return, you could find a company you love, at too high of a valuation, there's no chance for a return, you can find a a company that you have, you know, concerns about you're kind of in the middle, but it's a great price, and they're starting to execute, it might be a good bet to see, you know, if they actually it's a long shot. But, you know, if it does hit, it could be great. And you got into the right price. So maybe it's a risk worth taking, right? And you have to just evaluate each one of those. But never forget, it's an investment. And that's the problem. We're, We're sitting here talking about personalities, Molly, right? We're talking about who is this person? And, What are they going to be when they grow up? And and what have they done if it's a seasoned entrepreneur? And, and don't forget, it's a bet. It's a financial bet. Yeah, made in comparison to other opportunities you have, or the ability to not place a bet this week. Right? There's no gun to your head that says we have to make a bet this week. If we wait, we have no bets this month, and we make twice as many bets next month, we're okay with that. We're we're not in a rush here. Let's let's find the great opportunities. Because these things take 10 years. Man, I can tell you, I've had two or three instances where I made bets on the wrong people. And, you know, I, it didn't take years off my life, but it, it was weeks it's of
0: sucks up you know, months time. of like, yeah.
1: yeah, sucking my time, which is all we have at the end of the day.
0: Yeah. Great, great, great episode, I think. Well, speaking of investment, uh, on This Week in Climate Startups, actually, I've got a great investor, just long time. I've I've been interviewing this guy forever, Jay Coe, who is the co-founder and managing director of the Lightsmith Group, which is uh, an investment firm that focuses specifically, maybe the first, so focused specifically on adaptation and resilience. But we're on the news on This Week in Climate Startups because he came on, he works with the UN also, and so he came on to break down the details of the Inflation Reduction Act, The the parts of it that would be a huge tailwind for climate investing should it pass. So it's like, I really want to hear this. Tactical, super, he's just a really, really knowledgeable guy. He has all the numbers. And it's, and again, you know, it's like when you combine like private industry can get a lot done. No doubt Mm -hmm. about it. But if you get a big policy safety net and the government Mm -hmm. has a huge buyer behind you and incentives, it's like, tailwind galore for this investment category.
1: I was delighted to see in this in fight inflation act, which seems like the wrong name. I don't know why they name these things the opposite of what they are. This is like energy climate act, right? This is mostly climate.
0: It's a lot of climate. It's $369 billion worth of climate. Yeah, Yeah. okay. So maybe it's not mostly I mean, but it's a big chunk of climate, but but it's a huge, it would be the single largest investment the US has ever made in climate. Yes, which is great, and I,
1: I really liked. I know Freeberg was like, "Let the free market decide." On all in last week, I disagreed with him. Yeah, um, I like these subsidies specifically for EVs. Yeah, you guys did talk about that. I assume
0: I asked. Yeah, I asked him specifically. I was like, "What about this idea from some people <clears throat> that the <laughs> that we don't need any government intervention and it just perverts the incentives?" Yeah. Yeah, interesting. I want to hear that answer. The truth is like, no, it creates it. Not only does it create stability, but Jay makes the point that, you know, it's government's role. A big part of what this does is make sure that these solutions are available to people who are disadvantaged, who are feeling the effects of climate, specifically Mm. private. That's not our job, right? But Mm. that is the job of government is to help the people who need the help the most, Absolutely, because our solutions are going to start expensive and get cheaper over time.
1: And this what I was delighted to see was, you and I are not getting the seventy five hundred dollar credit for our cars because we right. make too much money. You have to make under—I hate to reveal your salary—but you have to make under a hundred thousand or seventy five thousand, I think, to qualify I for think this so, yeah. seventy five hundred dollars. So, if you're making more than hundred thousand dollars in your household, I don't think you qualify for this. Which is great. I don't want to qualify for it. When I got my EV credits previously, I mean, I—I I, I think I collected them in two out of three times or whatever. Uh, and one time I was just like, whatever, you know, I'm, I'm not gonna even fill out the paperwork for twenty five hundred bucks. But I really liked. The fact that, hey, yeah, it's, it's not for $150,000 supercars. It's right. only, I think it was $75,000 or cheaper. And you had to make under 100,000 in your household. Mm-hmm. So this is going after the
0: middle class or below yeah. uh, in terms of maybe giving them a chance to buy an EV and to make these solutions that are so valuable, mm-hmm. affordable to people. Jay also made the point that, you know, we have somebody in the chat saying it's the government picking winners and losers when Tesla is clearly the winner. He made the point that the last time we made it a climate investment that was a fraction of this size, $500 million of that money went to Tesla. Exactly.
1: Yeah, so, like, that's what
0: Get started
1: if they hadn't done those because there was a uh, Solyndra, I think was the big dog in that I think Fisker, I think Fisker and Solyndra, they lost all this money. Um, and, you know, like, but the yeah. five 500 did go to test this was Obama's, yeah. you know, uh, bet on energy. Yeah. And Tesla paid it back early with interest.
0: Yep. So again, if it's loans, no, it's not a knock on Tesla. It yeah. is a good It was thing great for Tesla. Yes, started something that created an EV market in America. That's what government investment can do when it's right. done well.
1: So what can this do? This can push down? Hey, not everybody can afford a Plaid Model S not everybody can afford a Model Y for 70k uh, or a Model 3 for 50k. But now hey, if these 50 to 75k cars, can be $7,500 cheaper and 10% or 15% cheaper. Hey, that could be the difference, right? That could push some people to give it a shot, right? It could get some people into some showrooms. And that's what we want. And if it makes, you know, other because now we have Lucid and Rivian and BMW, which one did you get Polestar Polestar you Mm got what is the what did the Polestar go for? Was it under 75 or over 75?
0: It's just under Yeah, I think you can probably you could get it up to 75, but 60, yeah. 60-ish. Like there, are a lot of them sit in that 50 to 60 range right now, which is not that affordable for no. a long range, mm-hmm. right? You know, for people, um, the Bolt is more affordable, but you're going to start to, again, this is how prices come down. And yes. this is how prices come down for solar and batteries and all the things that actually yes. make the grid operable when it gets super freaking hot, like now. Like it's it's a it's a or game changer it, if it, it passes.
1: I, and I also think that they're presenting these things they don't do a great job with the marketing and p r on these things. The other thing you can think about this is energy independence, yeah, and so we, exactly. we do need to take into account energy independence and climate And if you look at energy independence, uh, do we really want you know countries to be dependent on russia,
0: Venezuela? You know, Saudi Arabia, whatever mm. country it is that has oil. Afghanistan we don't. for lithium. I mean it's not even just oil, right? Like yes, it's energy independence, arts? but yeah, we sure. need to be extracting lithium. We fully freaking do. And other rare earths and all of those opportunities are available to us. And yeah, energy independence is a huge part of this and grid resiliency, like creating mm-hmm. an energy Austin. system that can work. Yeah, look I at mean, Texas. Texas keeps going down.
1: I mean, Texas, yeah. it's, I, you know, I was thinking about moving to Austin, I looked at the monthly chart, it was over 100 degrees
0: every day this month, I was yeah, like, 108 no. degrees. Mm, I've, been, I've got to rethink this Austin plan And it is just going to keep going up. Like, yeah, we've maybe. got natural air conditioning right out the window, bro. Exactly, exactly. Big All right. old bay. Cannot anyway. wait for this. Great job, by great the way.
1: These, these, climate are, um, these climate interviews are just really piling up and They're it's really becoming fun. a nice collection. It's really yeah, well done. It's great. Done. Listen, masterclass is the best way to learn from world class instructors at the top of their fields. I love this product. We use it in our household. We've got a yearly subscription. And their are amazing courses include my guy, Steph Curry, teaching shooting and ball handling legendary and former Disney CEO Bob Iger teaching you about business leadership and strategy. That's a great course. I've watched it. And I recently watched Chris Voss, a former FBI lead hostage negotiator, teach the art of negotiation. Now you may have read his book, you may have done the audiobook, whatever, those are great. I love Chris Moss. I've heard him be interviewed on podcasts, but when he sits down and does a masterclass, that is the pinnacle of him sharing information. And it is so well done. You're gonna learn a ton. Each one of these looks like a movie. The production value and the joy of watching these, you're gonna really enjoy the aesthetics while getting all of that amazing information They have 11 categories with over 150 instructors now and the lessons are about 10 to 15 minutes long so they can fit into your busy schedule and you can get unlimited access to every single masterclass that's the big innovation here for 15% off an annual membership go to masterclass.com startups masterclass.com startups for 15% off
0: jaco welcome back to the show i'm excited to talk to you about this uh, bill that i think we all hope passes
3: i'm excited to talk to you too thank you molly for having me
0: so now I understand you have recently been in D.C. Uh, what is the what's like the scuttlebutt? What are what are you hearing?
3: Well, there's um, two things going on. There's a lot of um, sort of surprise for sure. And then a lot of uh, fingers that are crossed because, you know, we we haven't landed the plane yet, as they say. Uh, so there's still a bunch of work to be done. But, you know, obviously having something to talk about rather than not is a big deal on the size and scale and um, number of things that are in the bill is really pretty exciting so i think people are really um, cautiously excited and optimistic about it.
0: Not to put you on the spot too much in terms of you know reciting the contents of the bill back to us but what are the headlines for you like what are the things that you saw in there that you were you know thrilled to see a little disappointed in Um
3: I, was- I i'd say that if you if you wanted to unpack it There's probably three components that are really interesting that are ways to kind of get your arms around what's going on here. The first is it's really big, like Mm -hmm. very big, Um, you know, three hundred and sixty nine billion dollars. That's like four and a half times. The size of the $80 billion stimulus that went through the Department of Energy in the last financial crisis. So if you remember, um, back then, if you go back in the wayback machine to then, you know, among the things that were funded... Uh, during that time period was a $490 million loan to Tesla. And if you went back and talked to yourself at that time, you would have said, oh, electric vehicles, is so speculative, who knows what will happen. And now you think this is an inevitability and the trend line is going to be really strong. So imagine four and a half times the amount of funding that created very different long-term trend lines now being applied at scale uh, in uh, in this particular piece of legislation. And then beyond that, I think there's, you know, Two kind of nuanced new areas that are really interesting as a a matter of focus. And then, you know, several different components of what the what the federal government is doing here in terms of unlocking what I think will be a much, much longer and clearer trajectory for where these things are.
0: going. What are those? Wait, you said there are kind of like two other big trend lines
3: in here. Yeah. So this is not your father's like renewable energy bill. Um, there right. is plenty of renewable energy <laughs> in clean tech. Did my father get a renewable uh, energy
2: bill? Well, <laughs> somebody, <laughs> did. Uh, somebody but,
3: did. But but the, the, the I think the the two things that are that are really interesting that are a bit. Um, different this time around are, one, it is you know very squarely focused in part on uh, the users of the technology, on consumers and particularly disadvantaged populations in the United States. There's a very strong equity and justice component here, both in terms of getting uh, clean technology access to poor communities and disadvantaged communities, and also um, getting access to these types of technologies in a way that actually just genuinely does reduce uh, the cost of them adopting these technologies among different sets of consumers today. So it's not just just a, a broad program. It's one that's really looking at how is the distribution of the benefit of these types of technologies uh, going to occur. Um, and the second piece is there is what we would describe as sort of a climate 2.0 awareness in the bill, right, uh, right. where there is real resilience uh, and adaptation and new categories like you know, $20 billion for climate-smart agriculture. That's a totally new category. Uh, $5 billion for forestry, $2.6 billion for coastal communities. And then woven through uh, the rest of what's in the bill are considerations about the effects um, on the environment and on people of uh, the impact that we're now unfortunately seeing continue to unfold because of climate change. So um, those two kind of different flavors are, are, are I think something that's new and novel and very important about um, how this bill is being put together.
0: Right, so it's a little more sophisticated. It's not just a blunt instrument to say we're gonna incentivize as much solar as possible or we're gonna incentivize as many you know, electric cars as possible. It's a slightly more targeted intervention. It sounds like of the type that is appropriate for government to do rather than maybe private industry.
3: Yeah, and I think the way that I think about it in part is this is almost the second half of a dialogue or a conversation between government and industry, right? So if you think about the infrastructure bill that got done last year which is law and has components of building resilient infrastructure and communities in it it has other components that support parts of the clean energy transition you know in the space um since we've been talking about this in the last year and a half um one of the responses to the new administration i think has been i think to date i think that the count is something like 50 billion dollars now of private equity and venture capital focused on climate and a much broader set of commitments that were made in november Uh, in Glasgow by um, financial institutions, companies, uh, global stakeholders to really thinking about the net zero transition. And then this, if it passes, represents uh, kind of the other step back by um, the government saying, look, this is going to be a scaled, supported, um, much more long-term, much more comprehensive pathway uh, to, to responding.
0: How important do you think it is to have these these two things acting together? Because I think, you know, when we all thought this was dead, which was not very long ago, there was, you know, this moment of like, okay, well, it's going gonna, it's gonna to fall on us. Like, here we go. Everybody, like, try to innovate our way out of this. But that was never going to provide kind of immediate broad-based results, right? It's not our job to invest in things that are accessible and easily affordable to disadvantaged communities. It's maybe our job to invest in things that might be, you know, and I'm generalizing here, but some things that might be expensive at first and will hopefully get cheaper over time as technology does. But that's not the only basket of solutions that's needed.
3: I I think I think that's right. And I think you know, when you look at the tools that the government has now put in play here, um, they come in kind of three flavors. One is there's direct now funding and support, $2 billion for breakthrough technologies and clean technologies out of the national labs, right? right. But then multiple ways that they are trying to basically leverage or incentivize everyone else to adopt and accelerate the, the, the pathways that we have in various parts of the clean economy, whether it's investment, tax credits, production tax credits to accelerate the adoption of products or to build more manufacturing, it sort of follows on thematically what would happen in the semiconductor industry. Um, but then finally, the government itself as a market actor, I mean, the government buys a lot of stuff. Right. So $3 billion to buy zero emission postal vehicles out of $9 billion of overall allocated procurement. I mean, that's a big amount of stuff that the government itself is going to buy to pull through demand. So it's, it's pushing on the technology side that will get picked up, I think, by by innovators and entrepreneurs and investors in you know, early stage investing, venture capital, growth capital, and so on. It's incentivizing folks in the market broadly to pick up the products and services that are being generated by that technology and entrepreneurship. And then the government itself is you know, moving the market because it buys stuff all the time. And if it's buying stuff that helps with the trajectory, it's at least not buying stuff that's gonna slow the trajectory.
0: Yep, totally.
1: Before we get to the ad, it makes our team so happy to see our partners celebrate big wins. And I was so thrilled to hear about this huge funding round for our partner Odoo. Really great stuff from Julian and the team, especially in this crazy venture market. It speaks a lot to the incredible product they're making. And you know right now you've got a lot of SaaS apps, maybe you don't need all of them. Check out Odoo's suite of business apps because you're going to save money and you're going to get more done with less effort. Using Odoo means you don't have a bunch of different SaaS subscriptions weighing you down. Everything you need is already inside of Odoo. All you have to do is flip a switch and turn it on when you're ready, and they'll only charge you for the apps you're going to use. Odoo has over 40 main apps and over 16,000 apps from their open source community. We're talking about sales, accounting, marketing automation hr website builders and so so much more you can have one customer support contact all your data in one place and all of your apps will be supported by that same customer support team not 20 different ones and here's the best part your first app is free forever and odoo is offering a thousand dollar credit on your first implementation pack amazingly generous a thousand dollars right now odoo.com
0: twist Dot com slash twist. How big a deal is this for our industry? I mean, we've seen just like you said, $50 billion in private investment there, you know, there have been questions about whether this might be impacted by the recession. I personally am of the opinion that it's not an optional investing class, but <laughs> you never know. But I wonder like, how big of a tailwind is this all of a sudden?
3: Well again, you know, fingers crossed on this, but I think it is uh, pretty it yes, pretty I should say could it be <laughs> pretty substantial um, yeah. and I think you know I, I would sort of divide divide that impact into um, you know, two major components. One is the direct effect, right? So you have this push on research and development that will then yield uh, different types of technologies that will be commercialized in a few years. There's a direct impact from the government buying stuff right now um, that is going to create a more stable view of what the market opportunity really is. And then there's all these other programmatic activities that are going to incentivize um, industry and communities and individuals and other parts of the government uh, really to accelerate that transition. So we're you know we have. Had um, some of the initial down payment in the infrastructure area last year, and capital being raised to think about how quickly this transition is going to happen. I think the direct effect is, you know, much clearer programmatic support for different parts of renewable energy, but also the creation of these new areas like agriculture, like forestry, like coastal regions, and this emphasis on um, really how this is going to happen i think the indirect effect might be even larger which is what this does is create a sense of stability um, and sustainability that is very different than it, the situation was you know a month and a half ago right, right. Uh, where you start to think okay well again you know take yourself back to your gut check in the, you know january 2009 like did you think electric vehicles was an inevitability? And the answer is no. Um, Now I think there's a much higher probability uh, that people think that that's the case. And this really, really cements that. And, the question is, what other things become really clear or really uh, f- start to feel inevitable, get to that critical mass as a result of this type of spending? Right. So agriculture really making a transition um, and focusing on the effects of climate change in the resiliency sense and the environmental impacts on on people right the human element uh, uh, emerging in the bill itself i think all of those things create you know just a more clear forecastable future in which you can make these investments and follow on i mean it's one like of the a, things we, it's a de-risking i think okay. it's it's an it's a it's a it's a stabilization of the environment and an acceleration of that environment mm-hmm. right i mean 369 billion billion is, is a lot of is a lot of money um, and uh, you know, the question that I think we poked around uh, in our last conversation which is okay well, all this stuff goes into early stage tech investing, this last wave of capital that's been raised or very mm-hmm. late stage. Investing. What happens two or three years from now when all those early stage companies like get into junior high school? Like, who's going to fund that, and will they really? You know, is there really a pathway for them to continue? I think this They're creates
0: teenage phase. all
3: exactly through yeah. through middle school and uh, all that shyness and at the school dance. Now I think you have a clearer. View that this is going to continue to roll out for some period of time with some heft to it, and the signals that are being put into uh, into the market, the support, you know, in the pushing of technology with the national labs, the pull through and actually buying stuff, and then all the levers in the middle, you know, at this scale, I think creates a very different environment in which you're going to actually um, move these technologies and the opportunity set forward.
0: That, I mean, we've been talking for a long time, and you sound a little more positive. I mean, again, fingers crossed.
3: Fingers crossed. We're not
0: across the finish line yet. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves here, but
3: yeah, I would say um, I, I am. I am cautiously optimistic, and I'm more optimistic certainly than I was a few weeks ago. Um, yeah. And that is because the shape of what has emerged um, is is, uh, is 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 a kind of evolution of where we've thought about where this could have possibly gone, right? Like, so, you know, if we went back to the early days of discussion about um, where we were in the clean tech space or in climate tech or broadly saying, like, where we were in the transition, you know, I'd said before, look, there's three things to think about. One is prioritization. Um, You know, the third thing that President Biden did was you know, reaccede the United States to the Paris Agreement. The second thing was people, the number of people in the government and the administration that actually know um, how different programs work and how to uh, make the machinery government-oriented in this direction was really um, gave grounds for a lot of optimism. And the third piece is the policy, like what are they going to do? So you got part of that last year, and now you have a you know much different scale uh, of actual activity if it, if it happens. Um, the qualitative stuff that makes me more excited uh, than I might have guessed I would have been, you know, had I not uh, seen this is I do think that there is a genuine, uh, you know, money where your mouth is aspect to the resilience components to the adaptation components to um, really focusing it on uh, populations that are really taking it on the chin. Um, and then broadening the scope of what we think about in the transition to agriculture, to forestry, to coastal regions, to uh, environmental impacts, uh, and, and to this idea that you know we are going to now plan in a more serious way, not just for uh, to start the beginning of a low carbon transition, but one that really takes account of the fact that we're going to live in a very different, um, more climate affected, you know, adapted and more resilient world if we build it that way.
0: Right. I want to ask you about that in a minute, since of course that's what you specifically do. But before that, like, what do you say to the idea that 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 markets would have gotten this done anyway? Markets would have led us in this direction no matter what, because it is the natural way of economics to seek maximum efficiency, and that you know when government comes in with these incentives, you get like perverse uh, outcomes sometimes, or that you can have the rug pulled out, like happened in the first clean tech investing boom.
3: Uh, so, I think I would take a little bit of issue with the premise of the question that the the rug was pulled out of us in the first clean tech. And there's certainly things that didn't work for sure. So, I'm not saying that that didn't happen. Uh, but I'd also say that, um, you know, the economy uh, is not a perfectly self um, managed machine, right? Like we have, you know, uh, our flashback to the 1980s, we have a Top Gun movie, there's a war with the Russians, and we have inflation, right? Uh, and then right. questions about, you know, economic stability going forward, right? So um, it's not a, you know, self-oiled machine in that sense. Uh, and the activity that led to the the last stimulus was, you know, the global collapse of the economy almost. And we're in a situation where, again, you have inflation issues, you have, you know, choppiness in in uh, all kinds of parts of the economy, and and there's a time for the government to intervene. The other side of it is the government does stuff all the time. Like, we got to buy trucks for the postal system. So Mm -hmm. we're going to buy ones Mm -hmm. that are going to drag um, the economy in a particular direction or accelerate it in a different direction. Um, Are we going to support other parts of our foreign policy or economic engagement with the rest of the world um, in a way that actually supports... Uh, our ability to build relationships and lead on climate and build technology in the United States? Or are we going to sit back on our hands and sort of watch the rest of the world, you know, go forward and get to it? So I think um, the idea that this is all going to happen at the right efficient pace and there's no other distortions in the economy, whether it's, you know, subsidies uh, for the fossil fuel industry or uh, ways that we're actually buying and selling things in the government itself as an actor, Um, I think is not entirely correct. So I would say that the the difference is, you know, the rest of the world wasn't standing still either. You know, $50 billion was raised to deploy capital in these areas. This creates a, a different part of the conversation, um, Uh, That can continue now. And uh, even though the federal government uh, was sort of offside uh, during the Trump administration, in the climate context, broadly speaking, you know, New York State uh, and other uh, states and municipalities were deploying uh, utility scale solar and wind uh, and were really moving forward with innovation and, and driving a lot of activity forward. Some of that, you know, catalyzed or facilitated at really critical points in time by the last stimulus, for example, um, but you know, parts of the, the world are moving. What I think this does is creates momentum and stability around um, how that trajectory is going to go, as opposed to a lot more uncertainty about whether it's going to be two steps forward, one step back, or two steps back. I think this says, okay, we're really going to move in this direction in a, in a reasonably sizable way and do it in a way that's not um, that's multifaceted, that's more thoughtful,
0: right? I mean, it feels to me, it's just an accelerant, right, which is frankly, what we need. So if everybody is now rowing in the same direction, it makes our investments seem less like outliers. It, you know, it has this effect of creating a large safety net. And like you keep pointing out a really big market, I I don't see a downside, really.
3: (laughs) I mean, we need government to get in the game here. I agree. And, and government again in the game again, you know, the small pieces, the government's like going to buy a bunch of trucks and, you know, spend money on clean tech as a because it's going to buy vehicles and, you know, runs a hospital system and runs a transportation system through the, you know, VA system and through um, the Postal Service anyway. So we, we're doing that. So why don't we do that in a way that actually is supportive of this? But by creating incentives so that the rest of the economy does, you know, make it more efficient and uses those incentives in a way that actually accelerates. Um, The transition. And I think, you know, the the recognition that this could be a major um, competitive advantage for the United States going into the next uh, decade, because, you know, the one thing, as we said before, that. I have more certainty about than almost anything else is climate change is going to continue. Uh, And so what this says is, okay, now we're going to give you a clearer picture of what we're doing as we see that environment change and the needs of that environment change about how government policy is going to unfold with real resourcing uh, in support for technology, purchasing of actual activity, and then creating incentives uh, for the rest of the economy to to drive forward in this direction.
0: All right. And now let's talk about adaptation and resilience. That's what you do at your firm. That's how I came to this uh, kind of area, basically, as a journalist back in the day, which was like, how are we going to survive this? Um, Quite literally. So what does it mean? I mean, when I started covering it, and I'm sure when you started investing in it, and throughout, it's been this kind of like, unloved part of the conversation for a long time or it was and now people there's this realization that no matter what we do there are effects of climate change that we are not going to be able to evade anywhere in the world and we do in fact have to survive them so like what kinds of technologies do you think are enabled how exciting is it that this is a, such a big part of the bill um, as proposed and then what kinds of technologies could it enable that could really do a lot of good
3: so I think it is, it is pretty pretty exciting, really pretty exciting. And part of it is because, as I said, you know, the two thematic differences are this orientation towards disadvantaged and impacted communities, right, which are the people that are, are being impacted really dramatically uh, by the effects of climate change right now. If you look at the heat events, the flooding events, the storm events, the impact of wildfire uh, pollution, um, the people that are getting impacted today and will be disproportionately impacted are the people that... Uh, are going to be the focus of a lot of the activity that's supported by uh, this bill if it moves forward. And it's been the focus also at the state and local level and in the international context in developing countries. So I think it's great that that is a clear, explicit priority, this idea of environmental justice or climate justice and equity, uh, because that is um, the humanitarian piece and the equity piece of what's going on here. Um, the second piece is you know woven through the energy transition components or clean tech components of it are now much clearer considerations uh, about that effects piece right so we're not just going to deploy uh, clean technology or renewable energy we're going to do that and support storage we're going to have a smarter grid approach to it that's going to deal with the fact that we might have spikes in demand for air conditioning because of heat events uh, we're going to um, think about the Impact on uh, environmental pollutants, which get much higher because of humidity or temperature increases. And so, woven into the way that this is moving forward, um, are these considerations of like a 2.0 approach to uh, impact on climate. And then, new categories. I mean, $20 billion of support for climate smart agriculture is a big deal. Um, support for, you know, afforestation and uh, trying to deal with wildfire impacts. Uh, looking at coastal community vulnerabilities in the billions of dollars uh, range is, you know, new activity that is really squarely facing up to the reality that we're all unfortunately facing right now, which is flooding, storms, fires, heat events, uh, effects on human health as a result of that, the effects on the economy as a result of that. Um, and I think, um, you know, this is a, a big step in that direction.
0: hmm bugs. Don't forget bugs. There's going to be pestilence. Um, Somebody years ago mentioned to me the fact that like climate change is going to come with a whole lot of insect activity that we are just not prepared for. And I was like, okay. Um, So that was a tangent though. So where does this put us in the like on the global stage, You're in a you are in addition to being the co-founder and MD of the LightSmith Group, uh, an official partner of the UN Secretary General's A 2 R Climate Resilience Initiative. Are you feeling a little better about showing your face in that crowd, <laughs> or will you be when when this passes? <laughs>
3: <laughs> when this passes, let's have let's put, put, you know. When. Yes, um, we're going to manifest it. I, I I think absolutely this, um, you know, reasserts a U.S., a strong U.S. leadership position in the global context. Um, and I think the two things that are interesting about it are, one, it's not merely saying um, that the U.S. is really willing to put capital against this or funding or taxpayer dollars against it. It's saying we are going to be very supportive in a a set of nuanced ways in transitioning multiple parts of the economy in this direction. So if you want the opportunity to uh, innovate and to invest and to develop technologies and solutions, then the U.S. is going to be a much clearer destination for those uh, entrepreneurs and technologists and capital, right? So, you know, $370 billion of support. Um, you know, direct for technology pull through by purchasing, and then a lot of incentives in the middle for production, for investment, uh, for communities to look at things. It means that um, the scale of what the U.S. is offering as a, a destination for these types of solutions to be created or to be applied um, is much clearer now, if it happens, uh, than it was uh, two months ago. And then, in the broader context, I think it's very important uh, to be able to to deliver on. Um, What, you know, had been the priority piece at the beginning of the administration and the people in place. So the policy showing up um, and we did some of it last year in the infrastructure bill. But really this moving forward, I think, uh, enables the United States to assert uh, that it's really putting its money where its mouth is.
0: Yeah, that's great. I like the idea that we could become a destination for the best and brightest too. once again. Like, let's do that. Let's go. Let's build. Um, Why do you think this was so secret? Just. From your perspective
3: um well i think that's kind of the surprise too is is uh it you know i don't think i I certainly had no anticipation of uh what might have happened i think it's a it's a very challenging time to get a lot of different things done it's a very complicated environment i think you know uh there i think there will be effects on affordability of energy access of consumers and different populations being able to adopt uh, and be part of the energy transition without um, having to be impacted as much by all the other increases in inflation we're seeing in other places. So I think, you know, crafting this, so it meets this moment as opposed to we're just going to fund a lot more of, um, you know, clean technology and it'll be, it'll be good for everybody. Don't worry. I think um, what's probably an important part of, uh, what made this possible and then i also think you know that uh there are some again like nuanced and creative elements in this that took some time to think about Um, in the broad political landscape um you know things are challenging and complicated like i think when this was discussed you know climate action last year Uh, As part of you know, bull back better or other strategies, and you know amounts that were maybe three times as much as we're talking about here, or two times as much. um, You know, it was a different a different set of uh, economic conditions and and certainty that's out there. So I can't really speak to the the politics of Capitol Hill per se, but I think what you have is um, something that is uh, is crafted for this this moment in time, right? Which is you know. uh, How do we actually have this affect the average person and the populations that are most affected? How do we create an environment where it shows um, the leadership that the United States can have and supports the places where we have the biggest advantages, like in technology and investment in in these other areas?
0: Do you think, last question, as this moves toward passage, that this also just becomes the kind of economic argument that can get lots of different constituents behind it? Because it, it... Clearly, we see this as a big, you know, climate is the biggest human story, but also the biggest business story on the planet. And it seems to me that the economic benefit uh, in terms of, you know, U.S. innovation, entrepreneurship, investment in a future where, like, most of us make it through this, which is good for keeping our country strong, all of these benefits that are sort of fundamentally pretty mainstream. Everybody would agree that those economic benefits are strong. Does that start to create enough, do you think, pressure to keep this from being like, I mean, yes, I'm dancing around the issue of like, when are Republicans going to realize that this is actually just a good economic argument? But does it make it harder to walk away from a bill like this when it's like, look, it's going to lower prices. It's a great investment. It's going to push a lot of, you know, investment in private equity money. At what point does it just get too hard to say no to?
3: Well, um I think what's interesting about the way that um, those two thematic changes um, have played out in the bill is that I think it makes it uh, more compelling and more relevant, right? So it's one thing to say, oh, you know, solar and wind is really important, and electric vehicles are going to be great for everybody, and there'll be a better investment climate, and we'll have entrepreneurship and technology development, and that's all great. What this is also saying is, okay, we know people are getting hurt right now by fire, by floods, by storms, living in coastal communities, living on farms. Um, and we're going to actually direct meaningful chunks of funding towards those areas because that's part of how climate is really going to be experienced by by humans, by people that actually care about these things. And that's a constituency that's beyond, you know, uh, technologists only focused on solar energy or, or wind energy. I think the other piece of it is by creating um kind of a clear pathway and momentum over over kind of duration so it's not like just this year we're going to do this it's saying what programmatically we're going to deploy you know 369 billion dollars over a number of years in the early stage supporting more technology right now and buying things that actually embed this technology and the middle by creating these incentives what that also tells you is that if you're you know in high school and you want a good job Or if you are working in the fossil fuel industry and you're trying to figure out what happens next or you're trying to advise your kids like, hey, this is not something that is a questionable trajectory in the way that it was before. This is an an industry shift that means good jobs can be created in these places. If we deploy a ton of offshore wind, that set of wind farms is going to have to be maintained by people going out on boats for 20, 25 years and making sure that you know, transmission lines work and that the wind turbines are spinning, electricity is being generated, And those are great long-term uh, commitments to communities uh, that can provide good jobs, good employment, a pathway that isn't uh, kind of a speculative, well, maybe that'll happen to me that won't, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, the idea that a good job in the automotive sector could be, you know, being in the EV sector um, was, again, like in 2009, like, really? Maybe. And today seems a lot clearer. And I think going forward, uh, other parts of uh, the uh, economy are going to look clear more clearly along this pathway. So I would say the, the human focus, right, on, on the people being affected right now and how that's going to happen across many different communities: agriculture, forestry, coastal communities, disadvantaged populations. And then the fact that now you've created uh, and reinforced. As you said, the trajectory or the acceleration here uh, means that you can really think about this as a clearer future uh, for people to get good long-term jobs, and I think that is, you know, always a pretty persuasive um, constituency supportive <laughs> mechanism. Is to make people think: look, this is this is a real future. It's not a future for a small bunch of people that are, you know would like to do something that's good for the world. It's like this is part of a real uh, reinforced transition uh, that's going forward.
0: Right. Like Joe Manchin, you could say a lot about Joe Manchin, but was on Fox News the other day saying like, look, this is this is a bill for America. It's a red, white and bill blue or red, white and blue bill that's good for the country. And if you love the country, why wouldn't you support it? And I was like, I'm going to give you this one. Just this one.
3: Um, I think I think it's good for American uh, entrepreneurs and technologists. I think it's good for investors that are, are looking uh, to uh, think about what happens next and where the future is going to go. But I also really think what's great is it's affirmatively good right now for a lot of the people being affected right now. And that'll be increasingly affected right now. Um, and I think, you know. Going back to your point about the global context, you know, you can pick, last year we are talking about, you could pick your continent uh, to get flooded out of, right? It could be China, it could be New York, it could be, you know, uh, Europe, it could be anywhere. This year it's like, pick your continent to be lit on, you know, have like fire affect your future. Um, and unfortunately, I think those things are going to continue. But by saying, look, we are going to, you know, create much more momentum here. Um, it creates a pathway for you know, industry and technology and entrepreneurship and investment, I think, here in the U.S. that, you know, uh, really helps all those all those folks. And then directly is targeting a lot of that benefit uh, at the people that are being impacted right now, which I think is, is a, a meaningful change in the way that this is being oriented.
0: Jayco is the co-founder and managing director of the LightSmith Group, the first private investment firm focused on climate resilience and adaptation. Thanks for coming back.
3: Thanks for having me, Molly. It's great to be and here. And also, let's manifest. Yes, right, your
0: congressperson.
3: Yes, especially yes. Here in
0: Arizona. Alright, everybody, thanks for tuning in on a Sunday.
1: Yes, Molly is out next week, just like I was out for a couple of days on the, uh, the river. Molly's taking a little trip. And I'm sure we'll get some updates from her when she gets back. But we have a ton of great content for you next week and some surprise co hosts coming in for what has been a ridiculously active
0: August. I like that. Ridic- RAA. Ridiculously yeah. active August. We banked some interviews. Runway. I'll still, y'all be peeking into the feed here yes. and there. I won't yes. be like completely absent, but yes, nothing live from me. All right. We'll see you Monday. Adios.